You're listening to episode 154 of Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable Podcast. In this broadcast, the faculty of Mid-America discuss theology and cultural issues from a Reformed perspective. I'm Jared Luchborg, Director of Marketing. Thank you for tuning in. In today's episode, Reverend Paul Ipema of Divine Hope Reformed Bible Seminary elaborates on what he means by reclaiming the cure of souls in an age of pastoral confusion and how that relates to not only preaching, but to spiritual guidance and direction. Take a listen. I'd like to also talk about recovering the biblical concept of the cure of souls in pastoral ministry. I use the word recover or reclaim because I think the assumption is this was something the church focused on for many centuries, but especially since the 20th century, we've seen it give way to the therapeutic. Don't underestimate, of course, the influence that uh, modern secular psychology has had upon uh, ministry and upon counseling and upon how even seminaries are training people for pastoral ministry. Uh, we talk about the cura animarum. I thought you would appreciate that, Dr. Venema. Um, the cure of souls. So we're talking, what do we mean by the cure of souls? Well, when we talk about cure, we're talking about the, the goal, the end, which is, of course, Christ-likeness, maturity in the faith, sanctification as that develops. Care which is very similar in this context to cure, is the method by which we arrive at the cure. How do we do that? How do we bring people, by God's grace, to the working of his spirit, by the word, how do we bring them to the point where they become more and more like Christ? How do we get away from this idea that the pastor is simply a professional? He's the CEO of the church. He's the manager. How do we define the care of souls or the cure of souls? And here I'm going to rely upon, and I'm going to point to three people who have been instrumental in my understanding of this over the last number of years. And I say this with some, some caution because it may surprise you who has been influential. I mentioned the first already, and that is David Paulison. Uh, I'm very much a, a fan of his writings. I very much appreciated um, the nuanced way he has taken nuthetic or biblical counseling and, and applied that to the way in which we develop that. What does it mean to counsel from the word? It's not just throwing texts at people. It's about preaching the word, teaching the word, living out the word in people's lives. He says, and I quote, the cure of souls refers to the transformation of individual lives and communal life into the image of Jesus Christ. Care of souls refers to the pastoral processes aiming to bring about such changes in others. The former is the goal, the latter is the method. As is always so in the dynamic of the gospel, those being cured learn how to care. So there's a sense in which counseling ministry is meant to replicate itself. And I stress that, for example, in prison ministry, I tell the men that what I'm doing, you know, we, we're called a seminary, but that's only because, by the way, the uh, Illinois Teachers Union would not allow us to be called a college. They would sue us if we used the word college, so we use seminary. But I tell guys at the very outset that it's not preparation for ordination, it is intensive discipleship. And that our goal is to train them so that they could train others. 
And if you want to know more about that, I can talk to you sometime about that, about how we've seen that blossom and flourish at the Danville prison. So much so, by the way, that other wardens from other prisons have come to the Danville prison to see how we are doing that and how they're doing that with other programs where many of our former students now are mentoring younger men in terms of how to live as Christian men. It's quite remarkable. The second person who has been influential in my thinking is Eugene Peterson. Now, I say that with some caution, and I have this caveat. I understand that there are concerns about some of the things he has taught, and especially in the years prior to his passing, there was a controversy about whether he would officiate at a same-sex union uh, marriage. Um, I think part of that was that, that problem was due to the fact that he was in declining health physically and mentally, but also uh, his views on the, the work and person of the Holy Spirit, perhaps, we would disagree with him on. But of course, I think we all understand that even if we don't accept or agree with all the theology that some of these uh, writers, some of these theologians and pastors have written, we can still glean a great deal from them. I think we're impoverished theologically and pastorally if we simply dismiss them because we disagree with this or we disagree with that. I find in Peterson uh, profound insights into the nature of pastoral ministry. He says, quote, It should be clear that the cure of souls is not a specialized form of ministry, but is the essential pastor, pastoral work. It is not a narrowing of pastoral work to its devotional aspects, but it is a way of life that uses weekday tasks, encounters, and situations as the raw material for teaching, prayer, developing faith, and preparing for a good death. That's an interesting way to put that. Curing souls is a term that filters out what is introduced by a secularized culture. It is also a term that identifies us with our ancestors and colleagues in ministry, lay and clerical, who are convinced that a life of prayer is the connective tissue between Holy Day proclamation and weekday discipleship. And then thirdly, a person who has been influential in my thinking is Thomas C. Oden. He says, soul care is one way of describing the pastor's entire task, including the ministries of preaching and sacraments, teaching and administrative leadership. For the whole work of ministry has been called cura animarum. But in a narrower sense, the care of souls has come to refer to a more intensive part of that larger task, a personal ministry of conversation. A regular and demanding part of Christian ministry lies in the quiet sphere of one-on-one -on -one meeting with persons who look to pastors for interpersonal, moral, and spiritual guidance. I appreciate Odin especially because of his, his work in connecting us with the history, the legacy of the cure of souls. Uh, if you read any of his work, he talks about the, the ancient church fathers and the time of the medieval church and the time of the early Reformation, pointing out resources that are rich for us to grow and learn as pastors about how to do the work of the cure of souls. And I would add to that the name of John McNeil. You may recognize that name from uh, the, the edition of Calvin's Institutes, but he had a book many years ago. It's a gem. I just got a copy of it recently, and I read it. Um, a History of the Cure of Souls, which is a great resource 
spanning the, the entire history of the Christian church and how that, how that history is filled with wisdom from every age of the church regarding the work of pastoral ministry. Odin's belief, I'll just summarize it this way, his belief is that it is essential for us to be linked to that legacy because, because it keeps us from following the fads that can steer us away from biblical truth. You think of the advantage of having a biblically-based view, say, of family, of marriage, and how that tradition that we follow is, is rooted in a biblical understanding of these things rather than being carried away by the culture of our day. If I had more time, I would talk about how I believe in that sense the therapeutic is very, very destructive in terms of their basic uh, foundational beliefs about the nature of counseling, the nature of, of how that would apply to pastoral ministry, if they would even allow that. I, would, I have found that people in the therapeutic world uh, tend to be dismissive of pastors even trying to counsel. What do you know? How, how can you possibly uh, expect to do that work when you don't have the specialized training that we do? And yet we would say that some of the foundational beliefs, especially about the effects of sin and how the gospel addresses the problem of sin, how that, that must be addressed. We cannot be morally neutral when we counsel people. Uh, but the therapeutic says, no, we have to look at people as being morally neutral. The therapeutic has not introduced them to Jesus Christ and his saving work. But I will, I'll leave it at that. Those are the, the people who have um, been instrumental in shaping my view of pastoral ministry, and there's much more I could say. But I want to move on, finally, since my time is very limited, to two examples or two illustrations of how this works itself out. And I borrow this from Eugene Peterson's uh, book on pastoral ministry. First of all, his dealing or his exposition of Acts chapter 8. He begins by talking about, uh, he gives the example or illustration of, of a doctor, a ship surgeon by the name of Dr. Cuticle. Interesting name. Dr. Cuticle, who is the ship's surgeon, and there is a sailor on board who has severe abdominal pain. Very, very sick. So they get an operating table ready. He calls a number of the sailors to assist him with the surgery. Uh, Dr. Cuticle is a man who is uh, deeply qualified, profoundly qualified. He, he opens up the abdominal cavity with his scalpel. He shows the, the sailors all the intricacies of the human body. Uh, and by the time he gets done showing them that, one of the sailors happens to nudge the doctor and say, uh, the patient is dead. In other words, he has spent all this time looking at the intricacies of the body without addressing the fact that this man had a bursting appendix, and now he's dead. And Peterson's warning is that we have at our disposal all these resources for biblical study, for theological study, and if we're focused on all these things at the exclusion of, at the exclusion of how the Lord is calling them to faith in Jesus Christ through the word, we miss the point. And he uses the example of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. There's a play on Philip's words. He says, do you understand what you are reading? Uh, Gnoskes, ha, anagnoskes. Do you know, do you understand what you are reading? And he says, how can I unless someone guides me? Hadegeo. Hadegeo. 
Someone must guide me. Someone must show me the way. And you see in this, Philip is called to do more than simply explain the text of Isaiah to the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch tells him to come into the into the uh, the carriage, into the chariot, and, and explain these things not only, but to show him the way. Is that not what faithful preaching and pastoral ministry must do? That we're not there just to say, what does the text mean? But we're there to walk alongside of God's people and to show them the way of faith. Peterson says it's the difference between a person a shopkeeper who has a variety of maps that you can buy that will show you the way versus the person who says, I'll go with you. I'll go with you on the trail. I'll walk alongside of you. I'll prepare the meals with you. I'll sleep in the tents alongside of you. I'll travel. I'll face all the dangers you will face. I'll show you the final destination. There's a a world of difference in terms of simply saying, here's the map and saying, I'll go with you. That's the first example. The second example he gives is one of spiritual direction. And uh, he has the story of of George Fox, who was uh, an English uh, Quaker dissenter in the 17th century, who, as a young man, was wrestling with issues of of faith, was really struggling and was seeking the advice of pastors. And there are five pastors he encounters, none of whom really address his most urgent pastoral need. There's a pastor, first of all, named Nathaniel Stevens, who spoke to him about Christ's sufferings, asked Fox questions about Christ's sufferings. And Fox gave all the right biblical answers. The conversation was stimulating. But he says, regardless of the seriousness of the subject, God, the soul, and temptations, the conversations themselves were not serious. Dialogue degenerated into chatter. In other words, Nathaniel Stevens' sole purpose or his main purpose for talking with Fox was simply to use this person's struggle as fodder for his next sermon. So he can talk about this man. He wasn't interested in helping this man, walking alongside this man. This man was simply another example he could plug into his message. He's an agent of alienation, says Peterson. And secondly, there's a priest at Manketer. And you know what his advice was? His advice was, you should take some tobacco and sing psalms. Now that'd be an interesting bit of advice. Take to smoke some tobacco and sing your psalms. That will cure you. And Peterson says the problem with this man is that he's simply a huckster, someone who's selling goods. Again, he's not really interested in working with this man, walking alongside of him, helping him understand his struggle. He simply has the cure that he thinks will, will help. And if the man's not interested in buying his goods, he wants nothing to do with him. And then the third is a priest living about Tamworth, who, when asked the questions that Fox wrestles with, can only give empty platitudes. And in the end, he says he is nothing more than an empty, hollow cask. He really has nothing to offer, just platitudes. We need more than platitudes to offer to God's people. And then there's Mr. Craddock, Dr. Craddock. He's concerned about orthodoxy, not only in terms of his theology, but of life in general. He's walking with uh, 
fox in his backyard. And fox makes a, a turn where he accidentally steps off the sidewalk and puts his foot in the garden on the soil. And Dr. Craddock is very, very upset because he's now ruined his garden. He says, in Dr. Craddock's mind, deviation from the straight and narrow causes that which is wrong from the world. And for him, human despair is rooted in wrong thinking. Fix a person's theology and you will fix him. A dogmatician, Craddock responds to, a dis- to despairing in core is to ask the testing question. He opens as an examining professor, searching out what is wrong with Fox's belief structure, but to wrestle with him in the questions that he's struggling with. It's not his interest. And the fifth and final pastor is one named Machem. Not Machen, for you Presbyterians, but Machem. He's an activist. He says, you need to do something. Do this, do that. And he has a whole agenda He says, Peterson does, he says, but the problem is people like Fox need a friend who will pay attention to who they are, not a project manager who will order additional busy work. My time is running out, so I simply want to ask the question, what is the answer? Peterson offers three suggestions, which I'll just mention briefly before I close. First of all, you must cultivate an attitude of awe. Who is the person that you're ministering to? Be honest now. Are you tempted to say that person is a a nuisance, an annoyance? This is a person who interrupts my schedule, my busy schedule. This is a person who takes away from time with my family or my hobbies. This person constantly comes to me with their problems. I don't want to deal with it. Or is this person an image bearer of Christ? Is this a person for whom Christ died? This is a person who a member of the body of Jesus Christ. And so meeting with that person should never be a burden. It should be a privilege. Secondly, you must cultivate an awareness of your own ignorance. There's so much that you don't know about the people you're ministering to, and you're going to have to spend your ministry getting to know them, stepping into their world. And may I suggest that one of the things that pastors struggle with probably more than anything else, is an inability to listen. To listen. We have our our answers already. We come with our six-shooter, you know, loaded with our theological answers, and we're ready to spout off whatever we think is going to solve the problem. But maybe the best thing to do is at first at least simply listen. Enter into their world. Walk for a while alongside of them. And then finally, he says, cultivate a predisposition to prayer. He says, we need to remember that what people are longing for is keeping company with God. How to do that and how that will make a difference in their lives. Can you be an agent or an instrument? Dr. Beach used that word in the prayer, an instrument of God to bring people into communion with the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so I close with... A quote from Martin Butzer from his book the Concerning the True Care of Souls. He, he builds upon the language of Ezekiel 34, verse 16. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. And the sleek and the strong I will watch over and shepherd with justice. 
And so he writes, there are five main tasks required in the pastoral office and true care of souls. First, to lead Christ our Lord, to lead to Christ and our Lord, our Lord and into his communion with those who are still estranged from him, whether through carnal access or false worship. Secondly, to restore those who had once been brought to Christ and into his church, but have been driven away again through the affairs of the flesh or false doctrine. Thirdly, to assist in the true reformation of those who, while remaining in the church of Christ, have grievously fallen and sinned. And fourthly, to reestablish in true Christian strength and health those who, while persevering in the fellowship of Christ and not doing anything particularly or grossly wrong, have become somewhat feeble and sick in the Christian life. And fifthly, to protect from all offense and falling away and continually encourage in all good things those who stay with the flock and in Christ's sheep pen without grievously sinning or becoming weak and sick in their Christian walk. May the Lord equip us. May the Lord strengthen us. May the Lord use Mid-America Reform Seminary to cultivate and nurture shepherds who will care for the flock of God in that way. Thank you. Next time, Reverend Andrew Compton and Dr. Alan Strange reflect on a critical and cultural, political, and religious piece in our day and age, that of the recent abortion ruling this past summer by the Supreme Court. Episode 155 will kick off a four-part series on the gospel for a post-Roe society. For more podcast episodes, you can find us on our website at midamerica.edu slash podcast. And wherever you listen to your favorite shows, search for and subscribe to Mid-America Reform Seminary's Roundtable. I'm Jared Luchibor. Till next time.